everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Half Squads. I don't know if we... We didn't give the episode number on the last episode. We, we What was it? Do you know? That. It was 156. And so tonight's episode is 157. 157 Tonight is February 22nd, 2016. Yes, and even though it's early in the year, it feels kind of like spring. It felt like Did spring you know last it? Friday. Yeah. Yep. So walked outside. The birds were singing. We, uh, I looked out my window this morning and was startled to see a huge hawk swooping up and landed in a tree right outside the kitchen window and then flew over and sat on the mailbox for a while. Huge. Probably about that, foot and a half tall. That is pretty cool. I have seen yeah. many more hawks around yeah. the whole area. And fewer rabbits. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fewer rabbits. Yeah. And other little vermin type things. Yeah, true. But it's a beautiful bird. So, but spring is coming. You can tell. Yeah, it is. It's good. ASL Open is just around the corner. Well, it's just around the corner and down the street about a month and a half. But it's coming. And I know people are preparing for it. Be there, folks. Are you going this year? We're going to set up our I, table and yeah, record. And I, I think maybe we should. I we think didn't we go should. last year, did we? No, I don't think yeah, we did. Somehow we missed that. We should. Let's let's go this year and okay. set up a table, play our usual one game and. Other guys will be in the mini, the Saturday. Yeah. Three game. Okay, let's do little that. Little tourney. It's a date. All right. You can be my date. And this is the one and only podcast dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world. That would be Advanced Squad Leader, which we all need to play more of. Well, you've been playing a bit, haven't you? Um, I don't think as much because I looked in my what you've been playing lately file, and yeah. I think there's only one scenario there. So should we just skip that, or yeah, why don't we skip it? I, I finished one scenario, but I I had talked about it already once. So. Half of it wasn't yeah. finished yet. Yeah. Right. So I and I have not been playing. You know, I've been kind of working hard lately. You have been working hard. You see, I I had a client who no longer needed my services. About a year and a half ago, they went. They switched to a different email platform. They didn't need my services anymore. And I kind of stay in touch with the, the IT director there, and I always say, you know, if any projects come up, let me know. I'd be very interested in doing other projects for you. So he called me and he said, we kind of need somebody to do a set up a SharePoint site for us and get some workflow things going for tracking these different things. And I said, well, I can do that. He said, great. Quote me on that. So I sent him a quote on that. He said, okay, we're interested. Let's get going. And then I thought to myself, you know, I really don't know anything about SharePoint. And I don't know anything about that workflow. Uh-uh. And so uh, I went online and I bought some ebooks. Like I bought four ebooks. Each one's about 700 pages long. So I got four of those. Hmm. And then I signed up to furlinda.com where there's about 30 hours of technical videos and training videos about SharePoint and workflows and InfoPath. And that's what I've been doing. I, <laughs> I've been learning, learning how to do it. I said I could do it, and I'm learning how to do it. That's so, usually the way I do things. You, you will be an expert. Yes, I will. Very shortly, yeah. if not already. And the project's about half done, and it's going along really well. But, you know, first time, it's slow. It's slow for me. It, but I'll, de- I'll deliver them a great product, but it's taking me three times longer than what I've charged normal. them. Yeah, and all that time you've had me harassing you to launch the, yes. the new podcast, which we think you've all listened to by now, we hope, and hope you yeah, found hope it to so. your liking. Yeah, and if you don't, too bad for you. Danced. You know, speaking of the weather, that windy day last week. That was really something. That was crazy. Oh, three weeks ago now, tonight. Yeah. My dad, 85, 
walker, he just took his cane to the jewel and was trying to walk across the parking lot. He and Mom were getting blown, almost blown over. Yeah, what were they doing? Because just those were 50, 60 mile an hour gusts. Isn't isn't 70 miles like hurricane force or something? Yeah, it could Uh, be. uh, Shingles off the roof have been blown into the backyard. Wow. I got, I got a patch. Off got of a, your roof? Yeah, I got a guy coming, I hope, tomorrow. Yeah. Take a look at it. I could go up there and do it myself. Don't you go up there. My knees are getting pretty Yeah, old don't and, you go up there. You know. I don't want to see you laying on your back and me having to hold up the squad leaderboard <laughs> and so up a series of mirrors so that you can see <laughs> from your traction. And so, so my dad literally couldn't walk to the car. He couldn't perceive getting back to the vehicle without literally getting knocked over. And you know, at that age, you can't take a fall. No. And so... You need to call a cab to get from the from Walgreens to, to your car. Well, yeah. This gentleman came up, basically saw him there struggling and said, here, let me, you know, let me give you a hand and, and held him real tight and walked him right on across in the wind and uh, loaded him into the front seat. And boy, he said, that, you know, that guy's got another... Uh, jewel in his crown you know wherever yeah. he's going and yeah the man talked about his mom passing away and that people helped her in her life and yeah it was nice that nice but there are a lot of helpful people around he yeah. said there was another woman was looking on he could tell she was considering what to do how to approach and say do you need help sir yeah because i mean it was windy it was crazy windy very unusual and you know it's not why they call it the windy city no it's not Oh, you knew that. I, I did know that. Oh. They did call it that because of the politicians. And the bags of wind. That for sure. Which we have. <laughs> for sure. They got wind coming out of every orifice. And what a so. fun election season we're having for president. Mm. It's Jim Dandy. It is. You know, it's just... Uh, people are going in just an anti-establishment message big time. Yeah. With the Donald... On the one hand, and the Bernie on the other. Yep. Because you would never have thought nope. that Sanders could have pulled off this close of an upset of Hillary or that Rubio, well, I don't want to include Cruz in there. He's a kind of, he's a, I guess he's a little of an outsider still yet, being a far-right Tea Party guy, new to, the, pretty new to politics. But the Bush, the Kasich, the... Rubio's not being able to beat Donald Trump. Yeah. At some of this stuff. Yeah. And it's getting crazy fun to watch. What's really odd is I have heard people say if Trump doesn't get get in and Bernie does, they will vote for Bernie instead of Trump. But if Trump's in, they'll vote for Trump. Now, does that strike you as odd? No, wait a minute. If Trump doesn't get in, if they want to vote for Trump. Oh. But if he doesn't make the nomination for, for the Republicans, Republicans they will, and Bernie makes Bernie. it, they Bernie. will vote for Bernie. Just because they want that's how anti-establishment. Yeah, and yeah. and they Bernie's just don't want anything in the middle. And Bernie's a long-term, long-time senator, but he's he is a different voice that is fairly authentic. You can fault him for all kinds of things you want, but there's a real high level of this is my vision and my message, and I've been saying it for ten, twenty years. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know. And Hillary's, I think she's more prone to play some politics. And we don't want to get into politics on this podcast. This is a non We're not bad-mouthing show. anybody. I'm just making an observation that you ever hear someone saying they could do that kind of a huge swing to send an anti, you know, same old, 
same old anti what's the phrase I'm looking for anti not establishment oh, never mind it'll come to me later yes okay but it's I thought it was fascinating it is very fascinating and I'm glad we're not political on this show correct though and and we're nonpartisan of, of any kind nope on this show and we like all groups of people except I will say there's one group of people that I hate I really hate. I can't stand them, and I hope we throw them out of our country. And that's the Martians. Well, they, Jeff, they haven't really been a problem lately. The, are you kidding me? The no. Martians and Bigfoot. I hate them. I hate Bigfoot. Bigfoot is nice. Stealing. He's always stealing the headlines. Only when he's gets caught being spotted by people. Yeah, but... He tries to hide. No. He's always running away. They're coming at he's him, and he's running away. Hog. He's a publicity Come on, hog. he's he's loping off in the distance trying to escape. I hate him. He doesn't want the publicity. Send him back to where Are he you telling me from? he's deliberately, like, Build hiding to make himself more mysterious? I think so. Just nah, to, I don't think Just so. to be annoying. I think we should get pack them all up and ship them back to Bigfoot land. Hmm. With extreme prejudice. I know. Call me, uh, you know. Do you I'm know not, there's I'm a... not a nice guy. You used to think I was a nice guy. <laughs> Apparently I'm not so nice. There is a uh, prehistoric man called Australopithecus gigantis, I think, or gig- something gigantic, who it was a pretty big dude. And I always, I, I had the theory a few of them were still around. Oh. Being spotted as, big, as Bigfoot? Yeah, Gigantopithecus or something. So... Yeah, I know my human evolution. <clears throat> I yeah. took that class in college. Yeah. Yes, I had a biology teacher in uh, junior college, but he called him Australopithecus. No, that's Australopithecus africanus. That's well, Lucy. He called the whole the whole group the Australopithecans. Are, there's a whole group of them. Oh, there are. There's, yeah, there's Africanus and Australopithecus. There are, are magnanimous. Uh, yes, and <laughs> yes. Big Hedis. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of them. Anyway, he always pronounced it Australopithecus. And he's a scientist. And he's a scientist. He was kind of a... So he, he, he mispronounced know. a lot of words. I think he thought it would be funny. He probably thought, these kids don't know anything. I'm going to mispronounce all these words, teach them all the wrong ways to say things. <laughs> he didn't say trash. He would say thrash. Thrash. <clears throat> he didn't say drought. He said draft. Yeah, it's very... Well, I had a class of students today discover that I am not fluent in six languages. Which six are you not fluent in? Uh, it changes based on the class. <laughs> Who's in there? Because when I... <laughs> if I hint at Chinese and some kid goes, I speak Chinese. I go, oh, well, well, I'm not really fluent in that one. Yeah. But Italian. So when I played the song of the day, Italian war music for World War II... I had a woman aide in the room one time, and I said, look at this, kids, I got authentic Italian war music and speeches from Mussolini. (laughs) And they're never quite as excited as I am. But um, I play one each day as they walk in. And so she, I said, I wish I could translate these these titles. Because then I was telling them I'm fluent in three languages, you know, just German and something else. And then uh, she she raised her hand and said, yeah. She goes, I speak Italian. I can do that for you. I'm like, what? And she did. She translated them all. Really? Yeah. Like, canto. Canto is like song of Victoria. Canto della Victoria, whatever. And so now I write them all up in Italian. 
and then I translate them verbally to the kids. Oh, I'm fluent in Italian, and I do this gig. It's pretty funny. See how long I go. And usually then there's a kid who'll come up with a document or something in German or something and go, well, you know, you're fluent in German, right? Because, come on, we all know Blitzkrieg and yeah. a lot of German Rivers words. Creek. And so. <laughs> yeah. And um, so he comes up and says, "This is what does this say in German actually here in the textbook in this photograph? <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, uh... uh. Well, I don't actually, and this same boy, three weeks later, and I told him, don't tell anybody yet, it's a playing a trick. And then today, I said, I'm fluent in, like, Chinese, and they, they'll say, like, say something. And so in his, now in his class, I said, yeah, I'm fluent in Chinese, and he raises his hand and says, but you told us you're fluent in German, and you're not. And I was like, uh, well, uh, well, where did you learn, where did you learn that idea? Expose. And he's like... And then finally he starts telling them all, well, you, you can't read German, and I came up to you. <laughs> and I'm like, and I told you not to tell anyone. You know? He goes, what? No, you didn't. I said, yeah, I did, but that's okay. Because I always get found out, I'm sorry, kids. I have lied to you. I must confess. Oh, man. <laughs> and they pretty much, and the other class found out when I started speaking Chinese, and they were like, and yeah, kid, and there's, in one class was one year was of course fluent in Chinese. That's not Chinese. But often they'll just go someone will just go, You're making that up. You know? Yeah. Like I'm fluent in French. S'il vous plaît, c'est votre tajate, merci la vous. I don't know. And most of them will buy it, but occasionally he goes, Wait a minute, you're making that up. It's very fun. Sorry to steal all the banter time. I that's fine. That's fine. I love that. I think that's great. Great fun. It is. Oh, well. It reminds me of that. Uh, I forgot to tell you that I went to, my wife and I went to a Korean spa about two weeks ago. You ever been to a Korean spa? No, sir. There's a place over, uh, it's about 20 minutes from here. It's called King Spa. And uh, I'd never been to this place. She had been there once before. And I, w- I was not really comfortable with the idea of Being going naked. to a Korean spa. Yes, because there's a lot of nakedness and with no clothing at all. <laughs> But so I thought, okay, I'll be a good sport. This is how this is how I'm a good sport. I have to go take my clothes off. <laughs> Do you have a problem with that? So we went on a Wednesday and uh, drove over there. Got there about eleven o'clock, and you you go in and they give you a bracelet, which is ends up being the only thing you wear. Really? And they send the women off to one side and the men off to the other side, and you go in and the first thing it says you've got to take your shoes off and then the guy shows you where to put your shoes there's a special locker for your shoes there's a key on the bracelet then he takes you to your next next locker and he says uh, you have to take all your clothes off and then you can go in these there's the bath area where they've got all these big tubs hot medium and cold and then extra cold and then a couple of steam rooms and all these little stalls so i'm walking around without a towel without a towel <laughs> And I'm not used to that because I don't hang out around gyms. I don't really like uh, wrestling movies. I, it's not my thing. Do you, do you like to wrestle men, Jeff? I Not really. I didn't like wrestling in high school. I don't like the smell of locker rooms. I never have. I don't go to the gym. But here I am walking around, and there were only about five guys in there. So so it was nice. That's five too many. Yeah, well, and it's a big place. So it's not like I was ever rubbing elbows or other, you know other parts. Ex- you know you don't want to accidentally bump up next to somebody and like yeah, 
And everybody showers a lot. Okay, well, you know, and they're in a, a tub and there's and steam around. Yeah. So I spent about an hour just hanging out in the tubs and stuff, going from the hot to the cold to the hot to the cold to see if I could break something. But I, n- I never did. And then they've got little, they've got shorts and t-shirts that you can put on and go out into the common area. And there's this big common area that's co-ed. And Naked they've got, co-ed? They've got, no, it's, you wear this little uniform oh, thing. Sorry. Okay. And they've got like these igloos made of stone, gigantic. Well, well, then they wouldn't you know, be igloos, Jeff. They're igloos, but they're made of stone, <laughs> and you can fit about ten people in each one, and each one has a different, different kind of stone. In it. Those, so when it's those like, would be medieval times monastic it, uh, beehives. It was like yeah, uh, that's they what called it them like. the beehive they things, like beehive. where the guys would hang out and write the yeah. write the Bible by hand. Yeah, and and each room had different scent. There there was the charcoal room. And they were all hot. The charcoal room, the amethyst room, the ochre room. And you go in and you absorb the the good rays. <laughs> so I met my wife there and we went into a few of these rooms. And then there's a place to eat lunch. And then you can sit and watch TV. They've got a movie room. You can go watch movies. They were playing. It doesn't sound uh, very Korean. It was Korean. You know how I know? Because <laughs> I'm fluent in six languages. Because a I woman can... <laughs> who looked rather Korean would come through every once in a while and go, Bing, bang, bong! <laughs> She'd come over and look at me. Bing, bang, bong! What does that mean? Well, Your movie time is over? I'm not sure because I don't speak Korean. <laughs> but no matter what she said, it, it kept sounding like bing, bang, bong. And then, <laughs> and then they would have announcements, which I'm supposed it's stuff like your lights are on in your car or something. <laughs> but it sounded like this. Bing, bang, bong. <laughs> bing, bang, bong. <laughs> so we, we went toward her lunch. And I pointed, you know, I have number 22, and the woman turns to the chef and goes, bang, bang, bong. And I think, I think I know how to speak Korean now. <laughs> I think it's I've very, got it. it's, it's a very simple it's, uh, language. It's, there's only a few syllables, <laughs> and it all, and it's just because I'm it's so dumb. how you Everything say it. This is how you same. say it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's the inflection. Oh, wow. When you're in a kitchen, and you point at something, you say, just say, bang, bang, bong, and bibimbap. Aren't there laws against public nudity? I think there are, yeah. Especially my public nudity. (laughs) No, I would think mine would be a little more... uh, Yeah, actually, I looked in the mirror. I spent about 20 minutes looking in the mirror thinking, yeah, I look pretty good. Yeah, you're looking pretty (laughs) good. You're looking good. You you can put your clothes back on now, Jeff. Yeah, look at this, though. (laughs) How about this? That's looking good, too. Yeah. (laughs) And look, I can touch my toes. (laughs) Yeah, I struggled (laughs) to do that a little. Anyway, there was right, no I, squad. I'm, no squad leader was played uh, at the King's Spa, but we we did have a good time. Well, I'm stopping this in favor of letters. And I, of course, apologize to if I was at all offensive to Koreans. I don't mean to be. No. It's just yes, you gotta be listening. Careful. You know, I've always found it interesting listening to a language like Korean. That's how I imitate. Bing bang bong. If I'm doing uh, like Cantonese. Chinese, it's like Hong Chang Jing Wan, yeah. And then if Mandarin Chinese is a lot of sure, 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 sure. And French, you know, I, we we heard your French imitation. I would like to hear a foreigner imitate an English. American speaker. Yeah, I would really like yeah. to hear that. What what do they hear? Yeah, what, what yeah. they hear in American. Probably speaking. there'd be several words thrown in there that are yeah. real words. Yeah. And... Fun, fun, fun. Anyway, I think it's time for letters, and uh, because it's spring. Ah, spring. 
It's Italian. I'm fluent in Italian. <laughs> I think it's German, actually. Is it really? Yeah. Doesn't sound very guttural. It's uh, written by Strauss, so I just figured. Ricard Then wouldn't Strauss. it be in Viennese language? Oh, it might be. There's that Strauss refrain. Dun, dun, dun. This is Voices of Spring. It's from an operetta by Richard Strauss. I can't remember the name of the operetta. That's Lante, sir. And this, that's our introduction into letters, which has nothing to do with letters, but it does talk about spring a little bit. Thank you, uh... Thank you, Booby. And I have a very important uh, comment left by Anonymous, but it's so important that we have to cover it here as a letter. Regarding your review of Journal 3, the list of scenarios with air power on page 21 is incorrect. It includes In Sight of the Volga and the Battle for Rome, and these do not have air support. So everybody, please make that correction. We stand corrected, which looks good on us. And another very important letter from Anonymous on this episode 153. When we replayed Yabo, that was Tom, Barclow, and I, yep. it, we said, like, the vehicles cannot be concealed. Well, of course, we were wrong. <laughs> Note that the vehicles start concealed and stay concealed because there are no American ground units on the board, which is totally true. If the vehicle is moving in the open, it's not considered concealed, and so the neg 2 <coughs> does not apply to the sighting task check. However, there's no right of inspection for the concealed units, so the American player cannot choose what vehicle to attack, and that is a very important addition to play when you play Yabo, the scenario that we broke down for you. Because, you know, we figured, well... The, the concealment thing, a moving vehicle, and all that. But yeah, maybe better to be sitting there concealed so the planes coming over can't target your AA vehicles. A. Yep. Okay. A. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Finally, the Earth is back in orbit. Because it was a little off kilter there for a while. Because? Maybe we didn't have that clarification. Oh, yes. No. Feeling better now. She's feeling better, too. <laughs> she went to a Korean barbecue. She probably did. Order the bibimbap. And I have a letter from Roger Patiglio. I've been listening to your show since the first year and have listened to all of them in order. Oh, Thanks thank for the you, great Roger. job you do. I began playing Avalon Hill games back in the 60s, but never ventured into SL. After hearing some episodes of your show, I bought ASL Rulebook and found it quite daunting. So I turned to Starter Kits and have progressed up through Starter Kit 3. Soon I hope to be able to take the plunge in a full ASL. My collection includes all the core modules and action packs. Unfortunately, I do not have the time to play face-to-face, -face, as being an airline manager takes up a great deal of my time. Also play PBM or over Vassal, which I do enjoy. Could you please send me an invite to the Slack.com chat room? Which I did. You did? Yes. For Roger? I popped in there and chatted for a bit with the lads. I haven't had a lot of time to be in the Slack area, but uh, they were in there. There were about five guys in there just chatting about ASL and other things related. Excellent. And thank you, Roger, for chiming in and thank letting you, us Roger. know you are out there. Do you have a letter, Jeff? I have a letter from Dennis Donovan. 
We all know Dennis Donovan, a regular contributor to this show. He says, hi, guys. Happy New Year. What a great episode. That was 153. You know, there's something I like about Dennis Donovan. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it might have something to do with the compliments that he bestows upon us <laughs> with great uh, enthusiasm. Well done on the Hakapale song. Huzzah! Hats off to the two half-squad singers. You make it seem easy. Thanks for being good sports and adding my cheap filler to the show. Well, Dennis, <laughs> any cheap filler we can add is good enough for good, us. Good for us. You make the singing and recording sound easy. I got a couple of guys out here with the technology, motivation, and wherewithal to actually sing and record parody music. The good news, you will get a break from singing and recording. The bad news, you'll have to hear my caterwauling. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing his caterwauling. We'd like you to send those on over, sir. Yeah. And it was nice of your sponsor for Mr. Ritter to donate those OBA cards. Did uh, Yes, oh, indeed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Those are very nice cards. Uh, I'm like you in that I was one of the people, uh, few people to get toys for Christmas. Mine weren't as corny as yours, of course, but still cool. My so corn stalks. So in you getting that terrain for your tabletop miniatures, does this mean you now have stalkers? That's pretty clever. I think that's probably enough from Dennis. <laughs> Only Thanks one worse at the that kind of humor than you, Jeff, is Dennis. Yeah. Thank goodness for Dennis. He makes me look good. <laughs> I have one from Kong Tang. Hello from Sydney, Australia. Listen to episode 154. Well done on the Russian Berserkers song at the beginning, Pure Genius. There you go, Dennis. Compliment back at you. Been listening since episode one. Keep up the good work to sustain ASL. Another new person has never written us before. Yeah, nice to hear. Boy, this will keep us going, won't it? Yes, it will. I have one. I want to remind everybody that this show is brought to you from kind donations or hat purchases, which we still have hats, folks. We are down to maybe like a dozen hats left. And Did you say a thousand? A dozen. Oh, a dozen. A dozen. We want to say thanks to your kind donations from mr myers and you got more i have one do you have any jeff uh, i have no, I one don't. from oh it's a long one let me see if i can fly through this pretty quickly hi jeff and dave greetings from germany this is from marcus south of germany if i apply the Kleinschmidt method of counting how many episodes of your podcast i've already listened to i'm well beyond 200 oh we're past 200, including all the ASL extras and the oh, newbie dues. No, it could I can't. Fit. I don't know what counting system I, he's using. I think Has he only got nine fingers? Maybe. Um, <clears throat> he could be right. You brought me and so many others back to ASL, and since I started listening to your podcast, I've been even managed to play some infantry-only scenarios. Boy, MMPOs us big time. Yes, they do. They owe us big time. You know what? We we're have had to it. make I, them so much money. We're going to get that in the afterlife. <laughs> they I need to start sending it. us some stuff every game for free. Come on, guys. You know, they should send us something. Come on, guys. What do you think? Send, Perry, I know you're listening. You want, you want open to up your stuff reviewed on the air? Get Just send us a copy. Yeah. It ain't asking that much. And since I started listening to your podcast, I more managed to play infantry-only scenarios. At first, I thought I wanted to skip your banter, but found myself listening to the whole episodes even when I listened to them a second or third time. It is strangely compelling. Uh-huh. Something mysteriously <laughs> niggling about our banter. that kind of It's kind of like a, an earwig. And he says I have... head and lays eggs. <laughs> 
I have only one criticism of your show. Why wait, do you... wait. Really? Yeah. Only but one? It's, but it's this. Why do you care about the criticism of your listeners? Oh. Which I think we... Oh, and he says you mostly don't, but... Yeah, I think we occasionally have said something, but I you, think we're... You never have, but we're I, pretty... I have. I'm sensitive. Oh. You're not, so you're thick-skinned and, and very generous, and, you know, I'm not so. Yeah. He also says, by the way, as a native German speaker, I feel the urge to offer you some help with regard to the pronunciations. <laughs> but only if you have to have something like native Germans are able to what identify. If he speaks Korean. You could use that, too. We will... Try to keep you informed when we need your services, Marcus. Thank you very much, and we'll probably forget to even notify you, but that's a good idea. Although my daughter is now taking German, and Robin upstairs speaks yeah, my German. Wife speaks if we German fluently, just remember to go and ask. Yeah, that seems like a lot of work, though. Upstairs, up the stairs, <laughs> talking to her, asking her. And he makes a really good point here. We always said, "How come the two residual always gets gets the squad broken when the big shot doesn't?" Yeah. Well, he's pointing out that. There's a lot of Resid 2s placed on the board, right? And numerically. And the more of those you have on the board, you're oh. not going to have a lot of yeah. eight Resids or, right? And then more people go through that Resid, there's just more of it multiplies the chance of something harmful happening. Yeah. Yeah. Spoken like a true statistician. Yeah. Yes, it is indeed. And please don't ask me to say statistician again because I don't know if I could get it out. However, uh, Betty over here is doing well. You know, he's also, Marcus is offering here in his conclusion, he has a first edition rule book and a slipcase, which he would dedicate as a price for competition to your European listeners in your next competition. Determine a winner in Europe, and I will ship the rule book to the winner inside Europe. Do you feel you like this idea, or is it the price to Picayune? Picayune. What's that? Picayuni? You know... Is he saying he's going to send it for free for I, us? Yeah, I'm... Like a donation? I'm not sure he's using I'll the word correctly. Well, I will clarify. Right now. Well, no, not right now, because we're doing a show. Picayuni means, you know, it's like worthless. Well, if he's not asking us for to pay for it, and he's going to ship it for free... Well, no, it's not picking. You need to no. send a yearbook to offer it as a prize. No, maybe. that's a or maybe very, he thinks very, everybody's very got very one. generous thing. Oh, well, that's possible. No, I think it would be very welcome. I'm sure somebody would be very happy to have that. I'm just looking up Picayune here. It's also a city in Missouri. Maybe that's what he's talking about. <laughs> Area code three nine four six six. Oh, sorry, zip code. a great sounding tournament. Dennis Donovan letting us know about the Southern Cal group boys doing their tourney. So we'll we'll think thanks for the plug Dennis. We're glad to plug this plug it. 
Maybe I'll stick that into the other episode also, 156, before we publish it. You know what we should do? We should hitchhike out there, play there, then head south down to, uh, you know, about three-quarters of the way down through South America, turn right, and head to Manila. Mm -hmm. And we could do Manila in Manila. Yeah. Actually, we had a a donation sent us to Manila. I think that was the $20 one we got. Oh, yeah. That should do it. That's What are we going to do with the leftover money? (laughs) First class, would you like your nuts warmed? Yes. Yes, I would. And do you have a letter there, Jeff? It's like a reminder to do Derek. And... Yes, I've got an e I've got an email here from Ken. Ken Not left a comment on our episode one fifty five. Dearest two half squats. I don't believe the exception is referring to an AFV's ability to move up a staircase in a factory. We were talking about Oh this, yeah, yeah, I was I was time. <laughs> but rather that they cannot move in a factory if it is a stairwell hex. Tracked vehicles cannot drive upstairs. That's what elevators are for. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. I think Ken's a physics that, professor That or made more sense, the, yeah, Virginia than what Tech. I was talking about from my note. And can you do the next one? Jeff Myers? Mm-hmm. Jeff Myers writes, Greetings, Mr. Hallett. Please inform Herr Kleinschmidt that there is a character by his name in the American forces in season four of combat. Woohoo! Episode titled Hills are for heroes. Numbers one and two. I'm only through number one so far, hoping that Herr Kleinschmidt survives the attack of Lieutenant Hanley's platoon on two concrete bunkers thus far with only 60 millimeter mortars as support. We'll report back shortly. Best private Myers. Well, how nice that he's watching combat. I wonder where he's watching cool. that. Cool. I wonder if I survive. Can you do the next one? Yeah. Let's see. Oh, yes. There's a follow-up. Good news. Kleinschmidt, played by Paul Carr, survives Yay. taking out the loader in the second bunker. Unfortunately, the boys then have to retreat down the hill due to a broader German counterattack. Well, oh, but hey, I survived. I'm glad. See? I'm happy for More you. More people should put me a, make me a counter in yeah. their ASL products. Yeah. Just makes sense. I'm going to take, I've decided that I'm going to take pride in not being a counter. Because I figure there's enough stuff coming out now that probably everybody's a counter. And to not be a counter is more notable and a greater honor. I think you are right about that, sir. Yeah. I'm wearing it proudly. Do we have any more mail? And this just came in from James Farquhar Harson. This just in. James is saying, I love the aspects of the show, especially banter. Eric Ortega is a great guest. Yes, he is. Unfortunately, I find it hard to find people to play against in Melbourne, Australia. Wow. And don't really vassal. And don't really vassal does like my Mac. Yeah, I don't think Macs do good with vassal. The Macs other... do, no, they do fine with vassal. They do? But, yeah. Yes, Go ahead. Do. But, um, anyway... He doesn't do well with Vassal. I don't either. Yeah, I don't. I like, can relate. It's face. You know, it's a for me. It's a face-to-face game. Yeah. Uh, the other comment I'd like to make is that ASL outside the U.S. and Canada is very expensive. There's no retail which stocks ASL in Melbourne, and to buy the products directly, it costs as much in postage as the product. Yeah. Wow. It would be nice if there was some better way of organizing this, as it adds to the difficulty of expanding and playing the game down under. Cheers and keep up the good work. Well. Okay, Australian listeners, all you guys that came out to the Ohio yeah. tournament, yep, Oktoberfest, yep, get going and on those this Paddington one. Paddington Bears, they're down there. Yeah. there must be guys down there. Guys, he just hasn't uh, hooked up with them. But so, if anybody's down there and wants to, although Australia's big too, 
it like is the United big. States. Like so. on the map, I looked at it on the map the other day. It's like this. Well, that doesn't look big. Well, the, the, size map of your was, head. the map was like this. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's pretty, it's email fun. us, folks, if you'd like to, us to put you in touch with James down in Australia. We will match right. you up. We'll try to do that for we you. Don't mind being matchmakers. It's a worthy cause. It, it would be nice if there was a way. You would think in this modern, modern day and age there would be a way to get products to Australia. Cheaper. Cheaper. Yeah. It just seems crazy. I mean, if it, it seems to me all you would have to send down there is like a, a floppy disk with and have them print everything. Just oh. send them everything and they can print their own stuff. Like a 3D wow. printer. Yeah. I don't know anything about technology. <laughs> they okay. got a 3D printer at work I'll be now. quiet now. Do you really? They do, yeah. Does it print in 3D? Yeah, really slow. What do you print? The plastic things. They're making plastic things. I don't know <laughs> what they were. It's just plastic stuff. It was a thing. I yeah. really couldn't tell. Um, like, I have to ask the kid. One of the kids asked Mr. Fermat, the guy with the machine, you know, tech guy. Or used to be called industrial arts. Uh, can I stay after today and make a, something with the 3D printer? <laughs> and he said, do you remember how long it takes to print? <laughs> I'm planning on going home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometime tonight. So let's not. I read somebody uh, the other day, somebody had the idea to buy a 3D printer and print out with it, print out a 3D printer. And then take <laughs> take back the 3D printer. <laughs> Great idea. It is a great, good idea. Could be the future. Could be. Oh, Jeff. Jeff. Are you ready to go to Mayhem in Manila? I sure am, Dave. I've got my bags packed. I've got my passport and my hat. Do you have your OBA cards? No, I don't. How would I get some? Why, you'd have to go to Ritterkrieg and order some. Ritter Krieg? I don't know anything about it. Tell me. Well, this is the great online store of ASL equipment. ASL wooden gaming products like dice towers, custom-made tabletops, an ammo box ma- map and map case, and all kinds of ASL products. You can order yours today and have it shipped to Mayhem in Manila. I wow. I'm going to get all that stuff. I know what I'll do. I'll tell my wife I can't afford to take her, but I'll take all my Ritter stuff with me. But Jeff, you might be able to take her because a donor has donated our air flight (laughs) to Asia. Sweet. All right, then this is the best thing that could happen. I can take my wife, I can take all my Ritter Krieg equipment, and we're going to Mayhem Mayhem in in Manila. Manila. And... These OBA cards aren't the crappy kind that we sold on our podcast. No. These are those really cool quality ASL OBA cards. It's a gigantic deck of cards that you can use for all of your OBA requirements. All of your OBA requirements. And do you know what makes ordering from Ritter Krieg the best option for any pre-orders? Tell me. They have free shipping. (gasps) Impossible. Take that, MMP. Well, that's a beautiful thing. So, how do we get to uh, order this Ritter Krieg stuff? Well, you simply go to Ritterkrieg.com, R-I-T-T-E-R-K-R-I-E-G.com. I'm heading there right now. See you in Manila, Dave. See you in Manila. Mm-hmm. 
You know, Dave, ever since last episode, I can't help stop thinking about Poland in flames because I'm just worried because Poland is just in flames. You should yeah. not be because kindling was not applicable. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to stop worrying about Poland in flames. And what's that you've got in your hand? Well, I got the magazine still from the Poland in flames, BFP5. Ah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we kind of talked a little about, uh, well, one thing I want to tell you front page has this map very hard to read some of these military maps yeah it's poland yep and look over the rules introduction of the counters here talks about the new machine guns again i mentioned a lot of these some of these were like world war one models yeah, 1915, the Germans designed a prototype of a more portable version of the mg08 named the mg08-15 Several modifications, a pistol grip, reduced breech, reduced water jacket and bipod, converted the HMG to a LMG. It was relatively heavy LMG at th- roughly 39 pounds. So it's a two-portage point light machine gun. So there's some variety of new mm-hmm. things in here. goes over the Polish machine guns and some Slovak machine guns in the darker green that also came with the game. New Polish vehicles and guns, you read over this, it's got the charts here, pictures of the, some of them. Some are new, some are just slightly altered, like again, I said, anti-canister and so on last yeah, show. a little better detail. Let's see aircraft here, maybe they're not biplanes. Maybe they're just early metal single-engine planes. There's a bomber here, too. And the first article, Pyromania, fire in ASL. So I thought... Let's slow down and read this thing. Well, paraphrase it to you. Fire and ASL. Okay. So it's not just about Poland and flames. He opens up with a nice little narrative of the commissar in a building and the fire burning beneath him and how he's maintaining control of the building to the end game. And then he opens up with saying, hey, there's one rule which is if struck from the rule book in half the scenarios available kindling an A yeah we were just talking about that one of the most common SSRs second only to fire fire second only to what Environmental conditions, moderate with no wind. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. So you prepare a fire in the prep fire phase. Get it? I do. You prepare a fire in the prep fire phase. Excellent way, Edward Fritz Jr., the author, of helping us remember when we start to try to kindle. Yeah. Adamant, not the kind of kindle you read a book on. No. At a minimum, you need a single man counter. He takes a normal task check. If he passes the task check, then he can roll for kindling. If the final kindling die rolls greater than or equal to the kindling number of the terrain, the flame appears. You make sure you place a pin counter on that flame that appears, not a blaze, to remind yourself that it can't spread in the next advanced fire phase. What if he's a caveman? Would, does he have any better Edward, chance? Edward Fritz, the author of the <laughs> article? Oh, no. I mean, if the person trying to start the flame, oh, like the, the single, single man counter is, is a caveman. Australopithecus africanus? Yes, and probably more <laughs> adept at building fires. He probably would be. They should put that in the game. 
So there you go. It helps if the single man counters a leader and has some friends to help him gather sticks. Did you ever see that movie, Quest for Fire? Yes, I did. That's a great movie. Was it great? I kind of liked it, but I don't remember being great. Okay. Well, well, I don't know. What's great? Ben-Hur? Well, we'll have to watch it again and review it on our new show. Robin and I watched it. Uh, my wife and I watched it about two or three months ago, and she had never seen it. And we just had a great time. Really? Yeah, it was really good. Held, held up very well, you know, because it's prehistoric. So it doesn't look dated. <laughs> it's not like it looks dated because it's still prehistoric. But, yeah, it, it was very good. It was actually better than what I remembered it being yeah, in the really? 80s when it came out. Yeah, so I recommend it if you get okay. a chance to see it again. I think it's on... It uh, didn't have Daryl Hannah, and she played uh, the no, cape girl, that no. Valley of the Horses. No, you know who was in it was Ray Don Chong. The bear, clan of the cave bear? Ray Don Chong. Ray Don Chong. Okay. Bing, bang, bang. Bing, bang, bang. Bing, bang, bang. Bing, bang, Ray Don Chong was Cheech and Chong, uh, Chong's daughter. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Not that cool. I'm on fire. This makes me sad. Yeah. Oh, with the sheets soaking wet, a freight train on to the middle of my head. Cold and desire. Oh, I'm on fire. Because Ken Lee's not an A. It's a great song. It's just making yeah, me all emotional, though, Jeff. Yeah. I'm getting all sappy. Like, yeah. I want to kind of cry and sing it out loud and drink more beers. <laughs> I'll uh, switch it up a little bit. And so, friends, to gather sticks to help him, have to be unpinned. Good order infantry. They they help to avoid the neg two down modifier for a single man counter making the attempt by himself. There's also neg one if the leader doesn't have enough friends, only a half squad. And a leader may decide to direct the multi-man counter can lean attempt. If so, he adds his modifier reversed. Okay? That's how you get all this stuff going. You'd have to um, you have to declare if he's going to pre-designate oh, all the attempts in the location. You can't wait to see which Boy Scout troop starts to fire first. You know, ah. He's a pretty good writer. Oh, that's good to I'm know. I'm enjoying this. you got to pre-designate. Yeah. 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 Cannot a leader cannot both make his own attempt and direct his friend's kindling attempts, and so on. He's got a little chart here with the modifiers. Very simple. Single man counter neg two. You know that's one of those rules I think that gets overlooked quite a bit is that need to pre-designate. Like when you're Stuff. dashing, you got to pre-designate your yeah. destination. Yeah, I don't just, do any of it. Yeah, I got to pre-designate, and I think that gets overlooked pretty often. Yeah, I think you're right. But it's it's good because it makes a difference. Yeah. Half squad crew alone would be uh, neg one. Uh, mm -hmm. Leadership modifier counts. The Molotov gives you plus two, and environmental conditions oh. modifiers varies. You can kindle with a Molotov. With a Molotov. How about that? Yes, sir. I never thought of that. Yes, sir. Now, my big mistake with this article is I didn't I didn't want to mark it up with a pen for yeah, some I reason or a pencil. Well, it's new. But, <laughs> and I probably should have... Because otherwise I'd just be reading this whole thing to you. So I think if I remember correctly, I wanted to... Even if you don't remember correctly, it's still entertaining. Well, here's how Molotovs can be done. Okay. Well, he gets into a lot of the, the modifiers, and you can run through some examples. But here's a section on Molotovs can be used. Again, refer to this figure he has in the magazine. This magazine is full of big color illustrations. 
the six plus one, and it will direct a kindling attempts of a, of a four, six, eight here. In a game, you wouldn't want a plus one leader directing a kindling attempt, but he uses it here for his purposes. And, well, I guess he's going to run through this again. So you would really uh, need to take the Molotov availability check like normal. Mm. You pass the normal task check. Squad makes the mall Molotov availability check. Okay. It needs a die roll of one to three. The only die roll being a plus one for a Molotov being used against versus a non-armor fighting vehicle. And a die roll of one or two, they have the Molotov. You okay. Remember that yeah. factor. And if they don't have the Molotov, the flame will be placed in Z4 and a final kindling die roll of 11. Now, this varies on what the kindling numbers are. So, But you remember there's a, um, yeah, you just get the plus two then with the Molotov if you have it yeah. to do the kindling. Cause so it changes the numbers around. Um, that ought to be a sure thing. <laughs> I think you've got a Molotov. Yeah, I, I would kind of think so. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's hard to get the flame started. Maybe they had a hard time lighting stuff in World War II. Like, the lighters were not reliable. Maybe fire was <laughs> not as available. And so, when you're starting fires, he, he does some bullet points here. I'll just kind of read through those. Again, he's got big examples with each of the, kind of the people and their conditions and being cx'd and all that so the leader here's one the leader cannot both direct a kindling kindling attempt and make his own attempt okay the multiple flames can be created in a location and i think i forget oh. that there's if there's a flame already in there another flame could spread there before it turns into a blaze so you're first placing a flame when yeah. you kindle and then the advanced phase turn after that next one it can grow into a blaze. Right. You check it and roll again. So, but I thought he was saying there that you can you can have multiple flames in a in a hex. Oh, and then so each one rolls. is going to run is going to roll to become uh, a blaze. Okay. Oh. Multiple flames can be cre- cre- Oh, sorry. I bet that has never happened. I think I've actually It's hard enough to get one. Well, no, I don't know. Well, unless a lot of these conditions and, you can and grain Stuff burns easy. Remember, we did have spreading fires in that um, big game we played yeah, at Mark's. Yeah, Valor of the Guards. No, it was the, was it was the, the one uh, with the British. Yeah. Um, Pegasus Bridge. Yeah, Pegasus Bridge, right. Yeah. Now, each attempt must be made regardless of the outcome of other attempts. So when you designate that, you're okay. stuck doing that. Yep. And CX affects the Maltoff die roll, but does not affect a Kindling die roll. Okay. So... The CX doesn't apply to normal flame creation here. Mm, that's the kind of minutia that makes you want to just scratch your eyes out. Well, yeah, I suppose so. Now, in all these cases above, place a prep fire counter on every unit which made or directed a kindling attempt. Okay. Regardless of the successful or not. If I tried to light a match, so I can't move. You know? I think it maybe it takes, you think it's too, still too hard, what you're saying. I guess, yeah. yeah. Uh, if a single-man counter failed the kindling normal task check, there's no effect on the multi-man counters in the locations, and they're free to take actions this turn then. So place a pin counter on any flames, again, placed in prep fires so they don't spread. I think you should be able to make a kindling attempt but still get to move. Uh, yeah, I would think so, you know, it's too. Like a minor, it's like I think they should start introducing minor actions the way they do in Dun- uh, Dungeons oh. & Dragons. You, know? you take a minor action, and then you can still do your major action. And that would make it more complicated. Oh, okay, never mind. I take that back. We'll, we'll edit that out. <laughs> Darn. 
A few common mistakes with kindling. Multi-man counters helping a single-man counter with a kindling never take the normal task check. It's the single-man counter that takes the check okay. to kindle. Yep. Snipers may be activated by the single-man counter's oh, normal task check. Dang. But are not activated by a kindling die roll, which we know that. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a, nor- a task check. Right. It's a sniper, not a kindling. Labor status is not placed or applied to a kindling attempt. Okay. You don't do that neg two thing. And CX, again, does not affect the kindling die roll. And the only modifiers to the kindling die roll are environmental condition, mm-hmm. the reverse leadership modifier, mm-hmm. the Maltoff, and then if it's a single-man counter, half-squad crew, as we read off of the chart over yep. there. His next section is called, We Didn't Start the Fire. Sometimes fires start by accident. If you consider playing with a flamethrower, Maltoff cocktail, or high explosives, an accident. There are six, I guess if you consider playing with a flamethrower an accident. <laughs> Say I like it's well written. There are six situations in which a fire may occur without kindling the flamethrower. Do you want to try and guess them? Uh, sure. Go ahead. I have no idea. No, wait. Yes, you do. Okay, six, six different instances. Without kindling. Without kindling. Well, yeah. Use of the flamethrower. Mm-hmm. High explosive. Yes. The spreading of flame. I don't know. White phosphorus. Yes. Um, In the hmm. PTO, the last one, white phosphorus, only in the PTO. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Accidentally setting fire to huts. Right. The, I wonder why only PTO. We already talked about. I, for the white phosphorus. I do not because know. They oh, I think it's just the huts. Oh, it's just. I don't of think the you can start a fire. Gra- grass or thatch yeah. or something that yeah. burns really easily. Right. Okay. Okay. I don't think you do it in the woods. In woods or wooden yeah. buildings. When we already mentioned, Moltoff. Yes. A wreck blaze. So when your vehicle oh, goes yeah. burning, yeah. and that would have to start burning in your own hex first too. So originally, then he says, start with the most obvious, the flamethrower. Now you'd think this would be easy, wouldn't you? You would think. But it's a long and complicated process most players ignore because it rarely results in a fire. First, the flamethrower has to roll an original K or KIA on the IFT. For a support weapon flamethrower, this would require a 5 or less for normal range and a 3 or less for long range. Next, target has to be an unarmored target. Armored targets are likely to turn into wreck blazes. Next, the target has to be in a burnable terrain. Bamboo, brush, stone, wood building, cactus patch, grain, hut, blah, blah. Finally, a subsequent die roll greater than the kindling number of the terrain must be rolled. So often the excitement of roasting a bunch of your opponent's troops overshadows the possible flame creation. If you do get a flame, remember to put the pin counter on it so it doesn't spread. And he gives examples down here, again, a nicely illustrated of various flamethrower options. Okay. The next is the high explosive attack. This is a similar process, but it gets the original KIA on the IFT instead of a K-slash, like the flamethrower. Next, the attack cannot be a collateral, an attack on the vehicle target type, or an attack that causes rubble. Next, the target has to be in burnable terrain again. Finally, we again have to make a subsequent die roll with the, to get a kindling number. I just I stepped away for a moment because it occurred to me that Mr. Spilkey has, has a probably chart. done a chart on this. And yeah. In fact, he does. If 
people want to refer to table 23, the flame rubble shell hole placement table for various IFT attacks. Goes into some detail very nicely on some of these things we're talking about, so you don't have to look it all up. Yeah, do you maybe want to read through some of that too? I, probably, it's probably would be redundant over at this point. At this point, um, the burning rack. What does he say about that spreading kind of thing? Does he have any notes there? Probably, but I can't read through it all. Yeah, and a burning wreck. Burning wreck is probably the most common use of the blaze counter. Now it has to be in its terrain, its own terrain that's burnable. So if you're out in the open, it doesn't spread to the grass. Okay. And so often the burning wrecks don't go anywhere. But you got that bypassing situation. You got to check it. Oh yeah, if table 19 from Rich has the flame blaze spread situations. Okay. Very handy um, there, where it talks about you know, the different terrain, whether or not there's wind or mild breeze or heavy wind or gusts and what happens. So, for instance... And, uh, and well, that's coming up next. Okay. Why don't I finish this off oh, okay, and then go to, we'll go oh, to that good. for this version uh, of the article. Uh, the, the points about the wreck blaze can be generated. Well, I think we kind of know this. You know, if you have a, a flamethrower Molotov less than the kill number... If you have a to-kill die roll less than or equal to half of the to-kill number, that gives you your blazing wreck. A close combat attack less than or equal to half the highest die roll needed for the kill, or a subsequent die roll of one on an unlikely kill. So that's just how you get the burning wreck. It's, usually it's less than half of the number needed except for the flamethrower and Molotov. Yeah. The Molotov attack. Now this is an easy three-step process. One, if the color is the color die roll of the Molotov attack a one or a six? On a one, the color die roll places a flame in the... Thrower's hex? Uh-huh. Yeah. And on a six... Which is bad. And a six on the... Target hex. Correct. Possible flame. Is, and then step two, is the potential flame hex burnable? And if yes, go right. to three. Is the final white die roll greater than or equal to one? Well, wouldn't it always be? <laughs> I would think so. For it's flame so. placement purposes only, the white die roll is modified by the environmental oh, conditions. Okay. Okay. And a neg one for fortified buildings, so yeah. maybe you wouldn't get it. Yeah. And then if you answered yes, you add a flame on the board and the rarest form is the white phosphorus placement now he's saying this can only occur if the environment conditions are dry or very dry exception huts so if you say an exception huts then can that also happen in normal buildings i guess so if white phosphorus is placed in burnable terrain with dry or very dry then the placing player makes a dial for the kindling number okay yeah, I think it can be regular houses there if it's dry or very dry. So that limits how often this is coming up. Yeah, you know? which I don't see very often, except unless you're yeah. playing desert. Moderate. And then there's not that much burnable terrain. Yeah, also. Of all the fires I have started in ASL, he says, this is the only method I've not yet used to start a fire due to the rarity of dry or very dry. Yeah. As you just said, Jeff. Whoa. And lastly, PTO terrain, the huts. Now, these are very prone to fire. Several ways in ASL rules, huts can have a flame created in them by means of any methods above, and it can be created by a small arms point-blank or triple point-blank fire. So just firing small arms can cause one. The Molotov, the machine gun, the IFE, the DC, or the high explosives attack. If the original colored die roll, the effects roll is a 1. Any flamethrower original effects die roll less than the breakdown number of the flamethrower automatically torches up the hut. Now that oh, makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And white phosphorus placed in a hut location gets to roll for flame regardless of environmental conditions. 
So even a wet hut can maybe burn up with the white phosphorus mm -hmm. modified by the dyno modifiers. Any backblast weapon from a non-collapsed hut automatically causes oh, a flame. Yeah. That's happened to me. Flame in that hut. Yeah. Oh, huh. I remember <clears> that. <throat> you don't soon forget when you flame your own hut. No. Now, in the advancing fire phase is the phase in which fires advance. Easy to remember. This, I yeah. like this guy. Oh, uh, yeah, that's good. Advancing fire. That's when fires the flames advance. advance. Yeah. How simple. I, I should have thought of that. And the uh, mechanics are sometimes confusing, at least for non-pyromaniacs, since the higher you roll, the more fire you generate. We're used to rolling low for good things. So if you want the fire, yeah. rolling high would be a good thing. And then there's spreading. What does uh, Rich's chart say about the spreading? Well, the one interesting thing that he covers is uh, a wreck blaze that's in bypass of burnable terrain. I'm sure that happens a fair amount of time. Now that, in that case... If there's no wind, the flame may spread to burnable terrain in either of the two hexes it straddles via the spreading fire die roll. So it could go either way. Uh, if there's a mild breeze, then it spreads to the burnable terrain in... That direction, then? Yeah, in that direct... Uh, yes, you're more likely to get it in that direction. If there's heavy wind, it spreads automatically to the burnable terrain in the hex that the burning wreck is bypassing, regardless of wind direction. So he covers... He covers... Uh, the spreading very nicely in this table. It's easy to read. And th those are both here in, in um, this article in Poland and Flames, but also blazes and buildings can't can only spread vertically or horizontally, not diagonally. That makes sense. Yeah. And plus one for going to a higher elevation, neg one for spreading to a lower elevation. Mm. Sometimes that applies uphill, but that's rare, oh, but it can yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. There is a neg two if the blaze is not directly attached. I'm sure that's all on Rich's chart, right? To the adjacent terrain. It's easy to overlook that. There's a neg one if the burnable terrain location is a fortified building. And the environmental conditions apply. So you add all that up and you roll again on the uh, numbers for the, each terrain type. And that'll tell you if you roll high enough, you get to turn your flame into a blaze counter. Sweet. And wind modifies it, plus two, plus one wind modifications, neg one if it's against the wind. And then he illustrates this all out with some fine examples of ways to walk you all through that. He points out again in some bullet points here, the burning wreck, well, you have to see the board for that, so never mind those. Blazes then can spread again to be more flames, right? So you roll for all the terrain around the blaze based on its number. Again, if there's um, multiple blazes there they that are adjacent, they could each place a flame in that location. Wow. And then there's he's got the fun little section on gusts, okay? And then we'll get into some tactics. The gusts can, as Rich pointed out, automatically spread at two hexes away and could collapse a building with random selection. Uh, blazing building collapse happens first. I'll talk about that first. And, yeah, random selection, the collapse rubble keeps its blaze, but falling rubble extinguishes any flame it falls onto. Oh, how about that? And gusts have no effect on the flames, just the blazes. Okay. So... Then into the advanced fire phase, you have a determined wind direction. You need to do so. And then basically, 
a blaze automatically spreads the burnable terrain if it's one hex downward of the blaze. A wreck blaze automatically spreads the burnable terrain in its location. It's automatic, no rolling. In addition, one eligible blaze gets to spread two hexes downwind, and that's the random selection one. And wreck blazes can only go one hex downwind. During the rally phase, gusts cause building collapse. I've never done that. But you would roll to determine which building collapses to rubble, keeping its blaze. I think these are burning buildings. It's a random selection die roll. And if it collapses, check for possible falling rubble. Any falling rubble, again, has the blaze in it. And if it falls on a flame, it extinguishes it. Roll, and then during the advance phase, gust caused the automatic spreading. You would actually roll to determine which blaze spreads the two hexes. Caught in fire. What happens to you when you're in a fire? You're in a flame hex. It turns to a blaze. You're in it. Do you know what you would have to do? Hmm. No. You going to take a morale check? You would have to voluntarily break and route out of that building if you don't have any kind of movement before that. So if it's a flame, you can attempt to extinguish the flame using the normal clearance rules during the movement phase or the defensive fire phase. A final fire clearance die roll of three to six hampers this flame, and it will not be eligible to become a blaze this player turn. A final clearance die roll of less than equal to two extinguishes the flame, removing it from play. And a separate die roll must be made for each flame in the location. You may attempt to extinguish each flame in the extinguishing unit's location. Okay. And you could put a labor counter on you to extinguish it better next time. But it can turn into a blaze, and then again, you need to break to get out. And then he ends talking about tactical use of fire. So he has an illustration here. Obviously, he's got an illustration of uh, woods and some grain. Grain burns really great. Cross the street as the victory hexes. So logically, what would you want to burn, Jeff? The grain. Yep, because you're defending this building's. You want to destroy this as a launching spot for his troops, the woods too, so he can't get into there. Deny him the cover of those defensive positions when <clears throat> you're firing back at him and this, and this jump-off point. So that one's pretty obvious. I think the, um, the grain should burn out, though. Oh, yeah. You really do want to make it complicated. It shouldn't stay burning through <laughs> the entire scenario. And then in this next one, he talks about channeling their movement. So here he shows a board with two roads through the woods. Of course, you'd want to oh, yeah. channel your enemy's movement, try and kindle the woods road hexes themselves, forcing him through the woods, yep. more expensive movement, or um, around the whole situation into some prepared fire-killing zones. Also, he points out that another way fire hinders is through smoke. It generates smoke. Smoke That's does right. two things. It makes attacks less effective and it slows movement. Yep. So it works in two ways for you there. Using s- smoke from the blazes as cover, they go up the two levels. So keep that in mind. If you're higher level up, it isn't going to help you. Right. In that in that way. Oh, he lays out a little way about firing your flamethrowers, your bazookas. Looking at the terrain, the easier to torch terrain first. It's a good way to break people from a defensive position rather than using the IFT table to try and break them as a defense, obviously. If you get a fire started in their hex, yeah. they're going to break and route out. And it can be used as night lights if night rules are in effect. Oh, my gosh. Never would have thought of that. Illuminate yeah, a bunch of locations. Yeah. 
great for finding your way or for your opponents at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but remember, kindling is not allowed at night unless allowed by SSR. Oh. So, that probably doesn't happen very often. There are other situations. You may not think of it in the PTO. Oh, I did that one, breaking them with the flame. And in this illustration, he's talking about... Um, be careful when you have some burning terrain, and if you move around the blaze up against an enemy and the blaze spreads behind you... Then you can't route if and you're you, getting cut off. Yeah. That would be bad. You can end up sticking yourself in a cut-off position yeah. where you can't route away from the enemy that may end up breaking you. So be careful about that. It can add risk to tactical maneuver... And now he gets into all this victory control, and I can't even paraphrase it for you. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I would just have to read this when I get into any of these situations. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll hit these three bullet points and leave it up to the listeners, or you can hit the rule book. But yeah, they should buy Poland and Flames and uh, yeah, study it. You know, you really do. You get a lot out of this. He's saying that location control is gained by the player which controls the hex or building. Yeah, we know that. Yeah. If neither player controls the hex or building, the player that controls the majority of the adjacent hexes to the unenterable area will control it. Oh. So I, you got to move people adjacent yeah, to the burning building or something? Yeah, maybe. Uh, hex control is gained by the player that controls the majority of the adjacent hexes to the unenterable area. Building control, all the building hexes by I means never of knew controlling that. the hexes adjacent to the other. It's mostly adjacent. And then he gives examples where you got to be in all these hexes to control these buildings that are burning. If you deliberately set the fire, you can't claim the building. Okay. You forfeit control. Yeah. yeah. And then there's rules for if there's a tie of who started it or if two flames... Yeah, so I'm not going to wow. even try to get into that. I didn't know all that. those rules were in there. I, I, I should reread so, all the control yeah. stuff. And he ends this wonderful fire it, it article. Actually, the article actually ends at some point. <laughs> well, it's done a great job. You're, getting, yeah. you're bang for your buck here. And he's very thorough with all the things that affect the, the fire. So if, if you have blazes on board, you get gusts. You could look at the rule B25.561 or look at his paraphrase or look at his examples here. In the magazine, it's all done by section. And then scenarios with fire. Fires in the victory conditions. There's a list of scenarios with fire? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Les École Normale, Deluxe A1. The partisans can win with two blaze counters in the victory building. Partisans have Molotovs. Last drop, BFP-57. Japanese earn victory points for blazes on aircraft or in buildings. Those are the ones you want to play because yeah. the whole goal is to start yes, fires. that's right. And Sound of the Hoofbeats, RPT-29, A Walk in the Sun, Aslock XX Scenario 5. Well, that's the new one that came out. Blazes are placed during setup. Burning buildings still count for VC, but kindling is NA. And then you're fighting withdrawal. I remember that starts with the fires. Honor Alone, eight, Scenario yes, 82, right. starts with the building ablaze and gives them all right there. And then... That's fire in the setup. Oh, and then there's a fire QRDC. Has Rich laid out one of these with all the kindling numbers and spreading numbers? No. Here they are, quickly accessible. Nice. Keep this handy. Yeah. When you got your fires burning, it just and it's got notes on it and asterisks, just real simple ones. So you can quickly look at that chart to get all those kindling and burning numbers. Next up will be guns and ASL. 
That'll be next time. Yep. Super. As we continue through the BFP5 Poland and Flames. Super magazine. duper. Well, I've got, uh, that's very well done, Dave. Thank you for going through that. I have two little bits of uh, errata I'd like to yeah. correct. First of all, the pronunciation of the word is picayune, not picayune. It's <laughs> okay. picayune. I'm looking it up here. So I mispronounced that. I apologize. And then also I said picayune was a city in Missouri. Yes, you did. It's actually in Mississippi. Huh. Aren't they the same thing? Yes, they are, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> They're right by uh, Holland. Or is it the Netherlands? <laughs> One of those two. Well, that going to be a show, Jeff. I'm I tired. I think that's a show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We always appreciate it, and thanks for writing and all that other stuff. And thank you, Bounding Fire Productions, for all of your work on the amazing Poland and Flames. Yes, indeed. And as for Dave and I... We like to say... We'll be here next time, but in the meantime... Listen to Spine and Sprocket. Yes, do that. And then... Roll low. And then... Rally well. And then... But, but not, not when you're, you're playing, playing us. So, bye-bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. fortunate for us that there's a lot of music that is about flames and burning. Isn't that a nice it's thing indeed? popular among musicians, I guess, to light stuff on fire. I actually really do like just the idea of fire in ASL. I do. I do too. I, I like it a lot. Burns, 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 ring of fire. Hey, Half Squads, uh, this is Pierce Ostrander, and uh, I'm out in Albuquerque now. A couple episodes ago, you had somebody call in who's out here. Um, maybe I'll send you my email address, and you can pass it on to him and maybe send it back to me. Anyway, um, I wanted to tell you guys about the uh, SoCal ASL tournament. It's the 19th year in a row this is run, and... Uh, it's uh, the West Coast Melee 19, and uh, it's a pretty cool tournament. Typically, it draws in the high 40s to the low 50s in terms of number of people. Um, it's uh, got uh, three mini events that go on, three mini tournaments that run each day on Friday and Saturday. Yes, that's six tournaments. Um, imagine there are three rounders, probably eight persons per, per uh, mini. Anyway, they play off on Friday. And then the winner of each of those minis plus the other five players with the best record advance to Saturday and play in the uh, Grofaz competition on Saturday, which is another three-round affair. Um, just eight players, single elimination. And also Saturday there are three more tournaments for those who didn't make the Grofaz uh, to get another chance to uh, earn a win, place, or show. So there's actually seven tournaments over two days, Friday and Saturday. Uh, the convention itself starts Thursday at 10 a.m., so you can get there and play itself for a day before the 
festivities start, and I think the ballroom is also open on Sunday. So it's a looks like a pretty good time. Um, I'm looking forward to heading over to Southern California and checking it out. Um, you can easily find the uh, website for the SoCal ASL Club and their flyer for the melee is there. It's a four-page thing, goes on and on. Anyway, looks like a great time. If you guys have a chance to tweet this or uh, put it on your show, uh, that'd be great. We'll roll low and rally well and uh, keep on listening, which I will do. Ta-ta.